Well, good morning, church. Well, my name is Brian Tate. I'm one of the Connections pastors here. And if you're a first-time guest with us today, we're in a book called Colossians, and it's in the New Testament. Um, And the first three weeks we have online, and so Brandon took us through chapter one uh, in three weeks, and he did a fantastic job at building us up to chapter two here. And so if you've missed a week, or if you just want to get back and kind of hear some things that might have touched you during those weeks, or you're a first-time guest and you've not been here at all, I encourage you to go to our website, thestonepointchurch.com, and just check out the resources tab, and all the sermons in audio and video are there, so you can kind of catch up with where we are. But we're going to start in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 today, and as you're turning there in Colossians, I'm going to kind of briefly share kind of where we are and, and what Brandon kind of went over the last three weeks. And so he started off talking about uh, Colossians and who wrote it. Paul wrote it. He was on a missionary, uh, or he's on a mission. He's probably on his third missionary journey right now, more than likely in Rome when he's writing this. And uh, he is writing to this town called Colossae. And Colossae is south of this uh, larger town called Laodicea. And so he is writing to this town to encourage, to build up this, this small church, in, in, kind of in the small town, t- so that they can kind of um, know where to go as a body of believers. And then in week two, we kinda, he kind of introduced that there was, there's a reason why he's writing the church uh, writing to this church, this church was founded by a guy named Epaphras, and he he more than likely became a uh, converted to Christianity in Ephesus through Paul, and so Paul has this relationship with this guy that he's gone back to possibly his hometown there to Colossae and shared his faith, and it has started this church, and so he is writing because of his connection to Epaphras there, and there are. Other thoughts, other ideas coming into this church, being brought in to say there's more for you to do than just the gospel, just Christ, just to believe in Christ. So the Jewish uh, converts are the ones that converted to um, Christianity. They are saying, well, it's still the law. It's still our, our works. It is still our sacrifices, circumcision, all of that that we were told to do beforehand. We still have to do this plus believe. And, and Brandon was just saying, no, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation or equals everything. There's nothing to Jesus that we need to add, and there's definitely nothing we need to take away. But it's given that it's Jesus that saves us and Jesus that, uh, that starts our relationship with God. And so it's Jesus plus nothing. And then there's also a, a thought process that you've got to know and, and be filled with wisdom before you can understand Christ. And it was told that it was the Gnostics or Gnosticism that they had these books that they would go and learn and study and read and you had to have all knowledge and wisdom before you could have a relationship with Christ. And that is not the case either. It is Christ, and we'll see in, later in Colossians here, that he is saying that wisdom and knowledge are found first in Christ and not in, in anything else. And so these are the two thought processes that are coming into the church. And we see that today. We see thoughts and ideas being added 
to the gospel, and, and we have to be sure in what we believe and what we stand, so that when things are added, we know that it, it, we need to be cautious about. One of them that you see is, is the prosperity gospel. You see all of these pastors online saying, hey, if you want to be blessed, come pray, seek, ask God to bless you with these things. If you're sick, come and ask God for healing, and he's going to heal you. But if he doesn't, then you do not have a relationship with God, and that's false. They're adding to the gospel. In fact, the prosperity gospel was started about 1950s. Uh, and you see just this uh, thing come through the Americas. And I'm wondering if some of it has to do with the American dream and building our own kingdom. And, and it's this idea that you have to be blessed and you have to be, uh, life has to be good. Otherwise, you're not, you don't have a relationship with Christ. And that's not true either. In fact, uh, Brandon then built on week three there that there are... Uh, trials and sufferings in this life, and that more than likely, in fact, not more than likely, you will suffer and experience trials because of your faith. We, we have that because Paul says that if you're going to share in salvation, if you're going to share in Christ, if you're going to share in his inheritance, you're also going to share in his sufferings. And so there are, there's, there's this idea that, man, if your life is not going good, then, you, then God's smiting you. God's uh, cause, because of your sin, God is, is doing stuff to you, and that's, that's not the case either. So what is it? What do we need to be so rooted and ground, uh, like built up in that we know without a shadow of a doubt it doesn't change no matter our circumstances, no matter what we're going through, no matter if somebody comes in and says one thing or another, what do we need to hold fast to? What do we need to know? And that's where Paul goes in chapter 2 today. We're going to take a look at that and see what he, what he is concerned about, what he's wanting to encourage this church with, and, and see how we need to be encouraged today. So before we jump in, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start in chapter 1 of verse 2. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way it guides us. I thank you for the way it instructs us. I thank you for the way that it changes us. And Father, I ask that you help us to hold so fast and so true to your word that when things happen, when circumstances happen, when life happens, when people come and destroy us, and when we're attacked uh, just from all the spiritual warfare going on, that we hold true to your word and who you are, Father. God, change us, mold us into the people that you want us to be so that we can more imitate you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we start in, in chapter two here. So Paul is writing to this, this people here and says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And the interesting thing is, is man, he's got a concern for these people that he's never seen, he's never met. And I sit there and I think, okay, so what, what about these great speakers that we have today? Like we've got Billy Graham, who's this huge evangelist. We've got huge pastors like Francis Chan, David Platt, you know, uh, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley, Brandon Bachtel, right? We've got all of these, oh, wait. So, so we got these huge pastors, right? Minus one, do they even know where Stone Point Church is? Like we're a small church in a small town, just like Paul here. And if you know anything about Paul, he is the, he, like it's Jesus, it's the disciples, and Paul's right there with them. 
Because he experienced Christ in a whole new way. He knew the law. He knew the Old Testament. And he had an experience with Christ on the road to Damascus that completely changed him. And he said, no, Christ is all we need. And so he goes out and he goes to the nations. And so you've heard of Paul. People have heard of Paul in these days. And so to know that this man of faith has a concern for this church really made me start looking at myself and say, do I have concerns, not just for Stone Point, but concerns for churches in Wills Point? Like, do we have a concern? Do we have a struggle that we want these churches in Wills Point, in Van Zant County, in the world, to be one, to be united with the love of Christ? That's what we've got to be concerned with. And so I have sit there and wonder, okay, I am concerned with people that I walk with daily, that I walk with weekly, that we come and we learn together, we worship together. But do I go out of here and think, I wonder how other churches did this morning? Am I concerned? Do we struggle? So this is the struggle that Paul has for this, this church. And I want you to see that we are in here. It says, for all who have not seen me face to face. We have never seen Paul face to face. We don't know who Paul is. We've never experienced, we've never handshake, shook his hand. So the Holy Spirit is riding supernaturally through him to say, okay, be encouraged. This is my concern for you as the church. So what is his concern? He has this struggle. He's got this internal conflict for the church, and we are part of that. So he's writing to us. So let's go to verse 2 and see what he is concerned about. He said that their hearts may be encouraged. So the first thing we see here is there's some discouragement going on. People are being discouraged in the church. And so, uh, hands today, if you walk this earth with me, if you live with someone other than yourself, right, have you ever been discouraged this week? Like, life discourages you. We get beat up because of all of our circumstances, because of family members, because of uh, even we beat up ourselves because we may not do something the way we felt like should have been done. And so we get discouraged. And so he's saying here, he hopes that our hearts are encouraged as a church. And so if we're discouraged today, where do we find that encouragement? The second thing we see here is being knitted together in love. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back to encourage real quick because I kind of forgot about this. So encourage, it wasn't this hallmark like, hope you get well soon, like you got a cough encourage, okay? It wasn't, oh, you're turning 50 today, be encouraged, you know, something like that. This is like this really difficult encouragement, like you've dealt with something that is difficult, that saddens, that grieves you, and he says, I want you to be encouraged. So this is like life treating you at its worst. He's saying, I, I want you to be encouraged. And so let's, the first thing is we need to find encouragement. The second one is being knitted together in love. The idea is like, okay, so we're all individual people, but we've got to be knitted together with something. So you take idea of a scarf, right? So you've got individual threads or individual pieces of yarn that, that together, you hold it, you let it go, they're going to all fall apart, right? I mean, you can't, it, it, it doesn't stay together. It doesn't even look like a scarf, but if you take that one single thread and you knit it through all of those threads together... It becomes strong, it strengthens, it looks and acts just like you think you like it should be, right? You put your scarf around, your kids find it one day and they try to jump rope with it, right? It's going to stay together. 
So that idea is we are to be knitted. We're all individual people, but we need to be knitted together with that common idea, the common love of Christ. And when we're not, we look like an ant bed where someone steps on us and we scatter. But what we need is that knitted together in love so that the church looks, acts, and experiences God just like he's made it to be. So we need to have that, that love factor there that it knits us together. So we need to be encouraged. There's some discouragement going along. We need to be unified in love. And so if there's the, during the church, there's, uh, this time in Colossae, there's some division going on. There's some, there's some conflict going on. And then the third thing says he wants, to reach, he wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He wants us to understand who we believe in, which is Christ. And he wants us to have full assurance. Now there's some other thought process coming into the church, and so they are questioning, they're doubting the way that they have received salvation. And so he's saying the three things that he's encouraging you to have or that he's concerned that he wants the church to have is one, encouragement. We have to be encouraged daily from us, from our people that we serve here and from Christ here uh, on Sunday so that we can go out and be that encouragement to the people that don't have the same hope we do. We need to be unified in love so that the church looks and acts and is just what God meant it to be. So that when we go out, we have that same thought, we have the same process, we have the love for the people that, we, that don't have the love we have. And so then, we need to be assured, like 100% sure of what we believe. And the reason why we need that, we'll find out later on, but have you ever just seen that person that's filled with just encouragement, joy, love, and, and assurance of faith? Like that is a person that you're like, there's something going on here. Like, you, you know those people that are just filled with joy that are just overly happy? They wake up that way? Like, I think of my wife. She's, she's just like, she fills with, she's just filled with joy and it overflows with, uh, to other people. And you're like, how is this even possible? Do you live on the same earth? <laughs> right? So you get those people that are joy and you're drawn to those people with joy and, and the encouragement that they bring. You, you are drawn to people that are filled with the love of Christ. And you're drawn to the person that is so full of assurance of their faith that know what they believe. That that's when you're like, man, this guy is solid. This, this woman is solid. And I want to know. What, the, what they've got. And so that is, that's why he's wanting, that's why the struggle, that's why the concern for the church to be this way. And where do we find this? He says, so which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The word hidden here um, is actually only used three times in the New Testament. One is in Luke and one is in Matthew, and it's actually talking about things being hidden in Christ and manifested through Christ. So it's really the same story twice. And then you've got this one time in Colossians. And Paul, I think, is strategically putting it here because the Gnostics in those days called their books the hidden books. Like the knowledge is hidden in these books. They use the same term that Paul uses here that describe their books. And so what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter what you have in these books. You can study this all you want, but all knowledge, all wisdom is found solely and hidden in Christ. 
And it's not kept secret, but it is found in him. It's hidden there. And so we go to Christ. We have to have a relationship with Christ first before we understand anything else. Now, there's two types of people in this room today. Those that have a relationship with Christ and those that do not. Those that are of God's kingdom and those that are still the kingdom of this world. So what do you do when you don't have Christ and you're reading this Bible? You're not going to fully understand it. You can read this Bible cover to cover, and you will not understand it unless you have that initial com- uh, relationship with Christ. I relate it to marriage and, and kid raising all the time. If I go and I study and I go to all the seminars and I read all the books, I read all the scripture, I, I watch all the sermons over marriage and how to enrich my marriage and fix my marriage and whatever my marriage, right? But I'm not married? What good is it? Right? You can have all the knowledge and no relationship, and it means nothing. Same thing as if I am married, if I know all of this, and I don't allow it to change me, to mold me, so I can go back and discuss it with my spouse and have a relationship with her, it's not good either. Same thing with kids. Kids, cover your ears. Adults, we fake like we know everything, right? Right? We just hope our kids don't ask us certain questions throughout the day, or to try to prove the things we have answered. So... We can study, we can, we can watch all the self-help preachers or speakers or whatever on, on raising kids, but if you do not have kids, if you do not have a relationship with your kids, it's all useless. It's the same thing with this. You can read the Bible, but if you do not have a relationship with Christ where you are praying, where you're reading, where you're conversing with Him, it's useless. You won't grasp it. And so everything is hidden in wisdom and knowledge of Christ. So why is he concerned about this? Why is this even something that Paul is worried about? And he says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Why do we need to be encouraged? Why do we need to be unified in love? And why do we need full assurance of our faith? It's so that somebody doesn't come in here and say, you know what? What you believe is not real, and it's plausible, so you start thinking, well, maybe not. Because the moment you're discouraged, the moment you don't feel loved, the moment you're doing life alone, and the moment that you are not sure of your salvation is the moment that you'll be led astray. You will be blown in the wind by something that just comes through. And so he's saying this so that we know. And there's two types of people that will lead you astray. And so you need to know what you're grounded in. There's those that look like wolves, act like wolves, and sound like wolves. They come in, they say, no, this is idiotic. It's not right. God's not real. Your faith is dead. You're believing in something that someone you shouldn't believe in, right? They bark at you. They bite at you. It's obvious they don't want nothing to do with God. Then there's like the wolves in sheep clothing. That they come in, they act like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, they even say things that sound a lot like our talk, but they insert stuff that we don't need, that you don't need. And so you can be led astray by two types of different people. And that's why he says, I want you to be encouraged, I want you to stand in unity with love, and I want you to have full assurance of your faith so you're not that way. It is so much easier to stand together than stand alone. And so, this is why. So what is produced because of this? In Colossians 2.5, it says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. So he's not there, but the same spirit that lives inside Paul is within us. 
rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The things that are produced are good order and firmness in your faith. They're steadfastness because of this. If we do these three things, this will be produced. And if you think about it, these are two, like Paul uses these terms and they're military terms of the day. And if you think about military and, and all the generations of wars and, and nations and who conquered, the ones that, that were successful conquered because they had order and they stood the ground. They went forward as one, they moved as one, and they stood together. And so if we are encouraged, if we do have that unity, if we do have that assurance of faith, then what is naturally produced through Christ is order and firmness. And so when people do come in and they attack, when people do come in and try to pull you other ways, you have people that you have a common mindset and a common love in that helps stand strong. And we are attacked by multiple things. We're attacked by our own thoughts. We're attacked by, our, by, our, by the worldly people. We're attacked by life's experiences. And we're attacked spiritually. And so he uses these two terms as, as military terms specifically because I think the church is attacked. And we will be. You are going to be attacked for your faith. We suffer because of it. So... This is the concern. This is where we find it in Christ. Why? So that we can not be taken back by people's ideas and so that we produce good order and firmness. So we go to verse 6 and it says, Therefore, so since all of this, how do we do this daily in our lives? Because it doesn't automatically come to us. It doesn't automatically, you get into a relationship with Christ and then you're good. You're you love everybody. You know, it's not where, where it is. And so how do we move forward? How do we go forward in our relationship with Christ? He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How do we receive Christ? We don't do good works. We don't make ourselves better to receive God. We don't please God to get God. We receive God because in Romans it says that if you what confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how we receive Christ. You believe and you confess. You believe and then you share your story. So the same way we received Christ is the same way we walk in him. You will not fully grasp God's love or fully understand this Bible until you stand face to face with your maker. I will not fully understand God's love because the more I read about it, the more I'm like, I don't understand how a perfect creator created a being that wants to run away and do whatever they want to, and he pursues them with an unconditional love just to restore that relationship with. I don't understand it, and I won't fully grasp it till I stand face to face, and then I'll be like, there it is. And I'll be like, Oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, like that's, we're going to be so in awe of our maker when we stand before him that we're going to hit our knees because of the love he has for us. And so you are daily walking by faith and you're also sharing your story. Why do we have four gospels? Have you ever thought of that? Like there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all write about the same man, Jesus. One would have been suffice. Why would we need four? Because the more that you share your story, the more that it 
it actually strengthens your faith. So the more I share my story with you, it strengthens your faith and it strengthens mine. The more you share your story with me is the more that it strengthens my faith and yours. And so there's this constant of walking by faith and sharing your story throughout your life. So it strengthens your faith. So then he goes to rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. He ends with thanksgiving because I think that if you praise and thank God all the time, that's, you're just, you don't question the goodness of God. The moment you start complaining to God, God, why is my life like this? What's happening like this? Why, 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 why? Is the time that you start questioning the goodness of God. So it's like always be thinking, always be praising. But then there's two terms that he uses here, rooted and built up. And I think it's curious, because well, I'm curious, I think it's interesting, because he just said walk, and he uses two terms, rooted and built up. That's unmovable things. So what, what does this mean to be rooted and built up? And I, I go back to John 15 when Jesus says, I am the vine, my father is the vine dresser, abide in me and I'll also abide in you. You are the branch, right? And so the branch that does not bear fruit is taken off and thrown away. The branch that does bear fruit, you're blessed beyond met. Oh wait, no, it doesn't say that. It says prune. That's not what I was expecting there, right? I don't think pruning for someone that's rooted in Christ. Pruning hurts, right? And so... To be rooted in Christ, there is this idea of a tree, right? That you're rooted, that your roots go deep, they go wide, and they're thick because it's, it, roots give life and they make it stable for the tree. When storms come, when life hits and it tries to blow over, the roots hold it in the ground. And it gives it life. So in order to ha- be able to withstand life, we have to be rooted in Christ, we, Christ gives us life and the stability to deal with everyday life. He also uses the word built up, and I think of the wise and foolish builder that Christ uses in Luke, and he says, if you hear my words and obey them, your foundation is strong. The winds come, the house won't be blown over. But if you're the foolish builder and you hear your words and disobey, then your house is blown over. And so there's these two ideas here, rooted and built up. So what do we need to be rooted in? What do we need built upon? Well, first and foremost, we need to have some type of security of who we are and who God is. So I'm going to go through this quickly here for you. We're going to start with God because that's where the Bible starts, okay? In the beginning was God. It's not in the beginning was Stone Point Church. In the beginning was your name there, you know. It was in the beginning God. And in John 1.1, 1, 1, it says in the beginning was the Word, which the Word there is being equated to Jesus. So in the beginning was God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all there, and He is there. There's no beginning, no end. God always was. So this is where we're starting. God, in the beginning, God created. Next word, created. So you've got that God is the creator. He not only created, let's say, the earth, the universe, the stars, the sun, the air we breathe, the water, the land, the animals, man and woman. He created everything. And he creates you. David goes later on and says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are knitted together in your mother's womb. God created you exactly who you are. So God's our creator. 
He also made everything good. It says that every time he made something, he says it's good. He makes man. He says it's very good. Everything is very good. If it is good, it's not bad. That means it's perfect. Anybody that can create something perfect has to be perfect, right? So God is our creator, and he's perfect. He's made us perfect, okay? So God is perfect, and then you see him come and just walk All the time with Adam and Eve. He's daily walking with them, conversing with them, talking with them, showing things to them. He cares for them. So he's, he's our creator, he's perfect, and he loves us. Those are the three things about God that no matter what happens is solid. Doesn't matter how you feel towards it. Doesn't matter what you're dealing with in life. You can have so many things happen. You can have people question. But if they say God is not perfect, he doesn't love you, and he is not our creator, then there's something wrong. You stand on the fact that God does not change. The God we serve does not change, does not move. He is solid. Then what happens? In comes the deceiver. Adam and Eve has this perfect relationship with God. They are perfect. They're walking this world in the perfect place. And in comes the deceiver and tells them, you know what? I think you need to be more like God. I think you need to know what's right and wrong. I, need, I think you need to go eat this fruit of this tree so that you'll know exactly what God's thinking. Let's take God out of the equation. And he says, let's do this. And they go, you know what? I desire that. I desire that knowledge. I want to be like God. I want to be the God of my own life. I want to do what's right in my own eyes, not God's eyes. And in enters sin. And with it, death, decay, struggles, hard work, all of this stuff, sadness that God did not create. And so man sins. Who changed in that? Man did. God never changes. We change. We are born in the image of God and we desire what we want. We sin, we go, we do what we want to do. We don't do what God wants us to do. So we disobey God and we then are separated. Adam and Eve is put out of the garden, and there's a separation between a holy God and his imperfect creation. God's standard is perfection. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection for you to have a relationship with him, you and me to have a relationship with him. The problem is, is the moment we sin once is the moment we are not perfect. So there's a problem there. We cannot get back to God. We cannot undo our imperfection. We can't do things better, so we negate that imperfection. There's no way that we can actually be restored by ourselves into a relationship with God. So what happens? God looks down and says, okay, I know you've messed up. I created you. I know you've gone your own way. I know you don't desire to have any relationship with me, but I'm going to enter human history in the form of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to walk this earth for 33 years and show you exactly how I meant for you to live perfectly. And he does it. He walks perfect 33 years, comes to his end of his life, sees death, for the wage of sin is death, I don't deserve that. I didn't earn it. It's not something that I should do, but I'm going to choose to lay down my life on this cross so that you imperfect people can have a relationship with the holy God. He says, now, if you believe and confess that, you are rightfully restored. You are seen as righteous. You are seen as holy. You are seen as perfect. And that gap is bridged. And we now are restored as a new creation Back into the original position that we were 
intended to be that God made us. That is an unchangeable God in an unchangeable way to accept people that change. That does never change. We, God does not change. He's, he's perfect, he loves us, and he's our creator. We do not change. We don't want God. We sin. That goes this way. That's always going to be man. The way of salvation never changes. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If anything else is added, it is false. That is your thing to be rooted in, in Christ and what he did on the cross. The Old Testament points to Christ. The New Testament's about Christ. The end of the New Testament is about Christ returning. It's all about God and Christ. That's what you're rooted in. How are we built up? Here at Stone Point, we have not just come up with some clever sayings. We've really tried to make it somewhat accessible for you to be built up in your relationship with Christ. And so how you are to be built up here at Stone Point is how we just kind of, first you have to be connected to God. All knowledge is found in Christ. So our first connection point is to God. If you do not have a relationship with Christ, then your next step is to come and talk to a pastor and see about getting into a relationship with the God we serve, the God that loves us, the God that pursues us. Also, to be connected to God, just like before, you can't just read and not pray and commune with him. So if you're not reading daily, if you're not praying daily, then how is this, how is your love to God? I can't say to my wife, hey, I'll see you in a month, good morning, bye, right? You've got to daily come before and converse with God. That's connecting with God. The way that we help you be encouraged, built up, uh, unified in love, and to have full assurance of your faith is to get into journey groups. The connection to journey groups means that you're walking, you're going weekly into this scripture and you're reading it and someone is sharing their story with you while you're sharing their story with them and you're moving along in this process of faith. So if you are not in a journey group, your next step would be get in a journey group so that you can actually share your story with common people that can build up your assurance of your faith. The next way is to serve, connection to service. The reason why we put this is because Jesus said, I, am come to be, I haven't come to be served, but I've come to serve. The way that you serve is that you put away your desires. You're not coming to church just to take, but you're actually giving back to someone that needs to be served. And so you are actually being the foot and hands of Christ when you serve people. And so in, if you are not in serving, then get plugged in. The next one is connect to the world. If you do all of these three, great, but you're not sharing your faith, you're not there yet. You have to learn to share your faith, and it's simply talking about how Jesus has changed you and what he's done, and going out and sharing with people, and standing on that to show encouragement, to show love, and to show that you're sure in the Savior that saved you. And so that's sharing your story with people outside these walls. Get plugged into a community event we're doing Stone Point Serves in two weeks. Go serve. Go on a mission trip. How are you doing? Fathers, I'm coming back to you real quick. Because you actually have a bigger responsibility than your wife does or your kids. Men, you have a bigger responsibility in this than anyone else in this room. You have been given leadership role, and you are to lead your wife through this process. You are to lead your kids through this process. 
So if you do not have a relationship with Christ, men, you cannot lead your children and your wife. You have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to be connected to the eternal father in order to be a real earthly father. If you are not in a journey group, you're not leading your family to be plugged into a journey group, there is something wrong. It is your responsibility to connect your family to other people. It's not your wife's. It's not your kids. It's your responsibility. So how are you doing with that? How are you serving your family? Let's first get to the family. Do you come home and do you serve your wife? Do you come home and do you serve your kids? How are you being the feet and hands of Jesus in your family? Are you plugged into serving here at the church? How awesome would it be if godly men would go and serve in children's ministry and student ministry? Because there are more kids today that do not have an example of a biblical father at home. And how awesome would it be to see a true man back there? Like, are you showing that service is important to you so that your kids see that too? How are you at sharing your story? My wife challenged me this week. Do our kids truly know my salvation story or our salvation story? Like, we talk to them about God. We talk to them about the Bible. We help discipline them. We help them know Christ. But do they actually know my story? My question to you is, how does your children know your story? Do you, does your children know how God changed you? Do they use your story as a step of faith in their story? Like, how are you doing there? How are your coworkers, men? How does your family know your story? Oh, that's heavy. But so is the Bible. <laughs> because we are not perfect. We run, and God wants to change us and restore us into relationship with him. So I encourage you, to step up and start doing what God wants us to do in this walk of faith. Be encouraged. Be unified in love. And know fully the God you serve. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. God, I do thank you for the word. Even though it hurts. Even though it prunes us. Even though it does not make us look good. Father, I thank you for constantly pursuing us even though we, we don't want to be pursued. God, I thank you for changing me. I thank you for changing people into your image. Father, I ask that you just help us to, to know how to read your word, stand strong on that foundation, and be able to change so that we can be imitators of you, Father. There's nothing better to imitate than Christ and Christ alone. And I ask that you just help us to imitate you so that others can see you through us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.